Exploring the history of cannabis culture. One artifact and interview at a time. This is Canthropology. Presented by the World of Cannabis Museum Project. With your host, World of Cannabis Executive Director, Bobby Black. All right, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Bobby Black, and I'm the Executive Director of the World of Cannabis Museum Project and author of Leaf Magazine's monthly cannabis history column, Canthropology. Um, I'm happy to welcome all, you all here to this special live taping of our Canthropology podcast here at the first ever Alaska Leaf Bowl at the Egan Center here in Anchorage. We're so happy to be here and uh, with all you fine uh, cannabis folk up here in, in Alaska. Um, those of you who may have read my column in Leaf or listened to this podcast before know that uh, our, our mission at World of Cannabis is to explore the history of cannabis culture, one artifact and interview at a time. Uh, in each episode, I welcome on a special guest to discuss uh, different topics related to cannabis history. And today, that topic will appropriately be the history of cannabis in Alaska. Uh, joining me for this discussion is someone who I hear is very familiar with that topic, uh, the COO of Green Jar Dispensary in Wasilla, Bailey Stewart. Bailey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bobby. I'm very excited to be here with you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're excited to be here. Um, so before we jump into all the history and all that good stuff, mm -hmm. I'd like to start out uh, by learning a little more about you, about your background, uh, your company, you know, and all that good stuff. So can you tell us, um, what, what was your first experiences with cannabis? Honestly, my first true experiences with cannabis was just after high school where, you know, you're becoming an adult, you're starting to go out with your friends, you're starting to see the world for what it is. Uh, I grew up extremely Mormon, so I was definitely discovering the world more so than some others. And you know, alcohol came into the picture. And one of the things I realized is like, I don't really enjoy the euphoria that's associated with alcohol or the culture around it. And one day I was, I moved to an apartment and I had some neighbors who uh, said, hey Bailey, wanna come up and smoke with us? And I was like, yep, you know, I really haven't done anything bad in my life, so I'm gonna go do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up there and I had my first experience and I was really taken back. You hear a lot about cannabis and it's euphoria and it's compared to alcohol or even harder uh, barbiturates. And I was just like, what's the issue? I don't understand what, why there's a problem. And so I just every single night started going up to them like, hey, let's smoke. Like, I love this, this is great. And one thing turned into another and here I am. I'm, I just really enjoy cannabis. It's, you know, my drug of choice. So where are you from originally? Are you from here? No, I'm actually not from here. I was born in Indiana. I traveled a little bit, but I made my way to Alaska around the age of four. So I feel Alaska is my home. Sure, sure. And so at what point in your life did, did uh, obviously you, you, you found your love for cannabis. At what point did it, you think this is more than just a hobby or something I enjoy that I want to do, do, be professionally involved with cannabis? I realized that probably midway through my 20s where I really enjoyed cannabis. I was starting to learn how to cultivate it myself. Uh, that didn't go so well. <laughs> but <laughs> I really understood that this plant, there was much more to this plant. And it wasn't just a weed. Like there was a lot of nuance with it. And uh, I just 
started to truly love the plant for what it is and um, one of the things that happened in my life was I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur I knew I wanted to work for myself so as time went on I continued to save uh, play into 401ks play into stocks save so I could start a business originally I was thinking art store but I just didn't feel like my passion was behind that I was like yeah I love art but it's just not the same thing as cannabis. <laughs> and in 2012, uh, Washington and Colorado legalized recreational and the movement started up here. So that's when I started to get really excited and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is something I can do. So tell us, how did, how and when did Green Jar come about? How did it come together? Well, it came about in Wasilla in my kitchen one day with me and my business partners. We were all sitting there and Washington finally just legalized. We all looked at each other. We're like, we're going to try. We're going we're gonna to put it all on the line. Like, yeah, that's our life savings right there, but we're going to do this together because we all felt really passionate about it. We felt like it felt right. It felt like we were doing something to improve upon humanity, to improve upon the future. And that's something that really got us excited and it was complicated, it was hard. It was not something everyone could do. So we were like, well, let's see what we can do here. And we started paying attention to regulation formation in Colorado and Washington to see what the first recreational dispensaries turned out. We traveled down to Washington and watched some of the first ones open up. What, how much flour did they have? What did it look like? And from there, just kept snowballing to the point where we, in November 14th, 2014, we passed recreational here in the state of Alaska, and we knew we were on something that we were really passionate about. How difficult was it uh, here navigating through the licensing, the permits, whatever was entailed in getting a shop open here? Was it was it super hard like some ridiculous obstacle course was it easy how did what's it like compared to like say other states so from what i've heard alaska is pretty difficult compared to other states however taking it one step at a time taking one one bite out of it at a time it really seemed like everything continued to work out it was extremely difficult alaska was forming its own regulations it took quite a while it wasn't until 2016 that we saw anyone um, open up their first recreational dispensaries it took quite a while for regulation formation to happen but when it did uh, we were behind that movement quickly and while the state of Alaska is pretty difficult to obtain a license, I would say uh, more of your local jurisdictions in the state of Alaska will have much harder licensure. Now, if I was to ask most Americans about what states were the pioneers of cannabis legalization, honestly, most people would likely come back and say California. Mm -hmm. You know, people know about California. Uh, California attempted to pass a number of voter initiatives to either decriminalize or legalize marijuana throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, most of which were unsuccessful until, of course, 1996, when they finally passed Proposition 215, the Compassionate Care Act. That made it the first state to legalize cannabis for medical use. And in the years that followed, many more states followed suit. Uh, today, the vast majority of states have legal cannabis for either medical use, adult use, or both. Um, but the reality is that the earliest pioneers were actually Oregon and Alaska. Yep. Uh, Oregon was the first state to pass decriminalization in 73, followed soon after by Alaska in 1975. Uh, and the way that that uh, decriminalization happened here was not by a voter initiative, um, but through the legislature, thanks in large part to an act, a very famous act of civil disobedience mm -hmm. by an, an activist <laughs> who's considered really the grandfather of yeah. the Alaskan marijuana movement, right? Absolutely. A man named Erwin Ra Raven. Um, uh, 
tell me a little about what you know about Erwin Rabin. So Erwin Rabin was pulled over for a broken taillight. He had possession of marijuana on him, and he held that in his hand until he was officially arrested. Alaska has our own constitution. In Article 1, Section 22, we have uh, the right to privacy. The right of the people to privacy is recognized and shall not be infringed. And he felt strongly that that fell into that constitutional right. So he wanted to test Alaska and bring it in front of the Supreme Court and see what would become of it because he felt strongly that we have privacy acts. Alaskans, to us Alaskans, our privacy is extremely important. Personal liberty, yes. personal responsibility. Exactly. Privacy. Yeah. Values. What we yeah. do in our home is in yeah. our own home. Absolutely. Uh, we'll give you a little background on Mr. Uh, on Mr. Irwin Raven. Uh, he was actually born, he's, he was a Jewish man born 1939 in Newark, New Jersey, my old stomping mm -hmm. grounds. Uh, I lived in Jersey for quite a while. Um, he served a stint in the Army, graduated from Rutgers University and NYU Law School, passed the bar and became a practicing attorney. But after the Newark riots in 1967, he got scared and took his wife and two young sons and moved up to Alaska. Um, uh, according to what I've uh, unearthed, he first settled in Fairbanks, but went on to serve as a public defender in Ketchikan for a while. Mm -hmm. um, he worked construction on the oil pipeline in, in Prudhoe Bay for a while, and before finally ending up in Homer and, and then Anchorage eventually. So he kind of moved yep. around a lot. Um, but beyond all that, though, uh, Raven was indeed a cannabis lover. Uh, in fact, his younger sister reportedly once recalled him growing his own plants in the Newark suburb of Hillside at the tender age of just 16 years old. Uh, and it was this lifelong love of marijuana that at the age of 33 led him to mm -hmm. jump into the activism realm. As you mentioned, uh, it was on October 11, 1972, he was pulled over for routine traffic stop in Anchorage here uh, for a broken taillight. Um, but he, like you said, he used that as an opportunity to challenge what he viewed as an unjust cannabis law. Uh, knowing that he had two joints in his pocket, he refused to sign the uh, ticket for the broken taillight and uh, held the weed, as you said, in his hand mm -hmm. until he was yep. arrested. Uh, he was charged with violating Alaska Statute 17.12.010 for possession of cannabis for personal use. Uh, and from there, it just it just blew up. And we should mention that this was very premeditated. Uh, yes. He had a partner uh, named Bob Wagstaff, um, and it was their plan that they had hatched. <laughs> they had hatched this plan from what I read back as early as 1972. Rabin had met Wagstaff in Fairbanks while he was uh, while he was living there. The two had often smoked together and plotted about finding a way to challenge, finding a test case to challenge marijuana laws in Alaska because they thought the political climate was, was ripe for that, for that change. Uh, so when he got pulled over, that was his perfect opportunity. Yep. Um, so he, so Wagstaff and Ravin, along with another lawyer named R.C. Middleton, filed a motion to dismiss the charges before trial, arguing that the state law prohibited possession of marijuana was unconstitutional because it violated the privacy right, as yes. you very clearly said. Um, the district court denied the motion to dismiss. He appealed it to the Supreme Court and then he got to argue it before the Alaska Supreme Court. Do you know much about the uh, the actual court case of, of what went down in the court? I know that there was a lot of discussion because first of all, he was in a vehicle, he wasn't in the privacy of his home. Right. Um, but at the end of the day that they, they sided with Raven on this, that this was private personal possession and Alaska state constitution protected him. Yeah, so his, yeah, his two main arguments to the court were, first, uh, there's no legitimate state interest in prohibiting possession of marijuana uh, by adults for personal use, 
in view of the right to privacy. His second argument was that the statutory classification of marijuana as a dangerous drug denied him due process and equal protection under the law. Now, uh, he soon brought in uh, other friends to help him with his case. Uh, the ACLU yep. uh, supplied lawyers and resources, and Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, who were, who were very active in the, you know, in the lower 48 at mm -hmm. this time, they jumped into helping to cover expenses for the case and flying in expert witnesses on his behalf, including a very famous witness, the godfather of medical marijuana mm -hmm. himself, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, who flew up here and uh, testified on behalf. Um, after hearing all the testimony, uh, as you said, the court ruled, and it was a unanimous ruling, yep, if was. I'm not mistaken, yep. that marijuana was harmless enough that the state's broad privacy right that protected adults uh, applied to personal use at home. Um, so that was on May 27, 1975, uh, that they ruled that the state constitution pr protects the privacy right. Um, and that made um, Alaska the first and only state or federal court in the U.S to recognize a constitutional privacy right for marijuana possession and use. Did you know a week prior we decriminalized just through legislation? On May 16, 1975, Alaska became the second state in the U.S. to decriminalize cannabis. The law imposed only a $100 fine for persons possessing cannabis and became law without the governor's signature. It passed just a week before Raven's ruling. Absolutely, I did read that. And uh, I, I was curious to get your take on, um, do you think the law came about because of his case, or do you think that the law was already brewing? Did his case help it? Uh, what do you think the relationship was, if any, between uh, legislator passing it and yeah. his case? I definitely think there was pro politics involved. Uh, this case started in 1972. This passed in 1975. They saw clearly that this was in court, that this is more likely going to happen just based off of the evidence that was being brought forth in Alaska state constitution. Um, so I do believe politics were involved, and they were trying to get on top of it. Yeah. Well, Ravin, uh, Ravin was quoted as saying, uh, marijuana has never been an issue for me. The fight was always for privacy. Our territory and now state has traditionally been the home of people who prize their individuality and who have chosen to achieve a measure of control over their own lifestyles, which is now virtually unattainable in many of our sister states. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, the last frontier, uh, you know, became one of the first to yeah. uh, decriminalize, if not legalize, cannabis. Um, and he became a folk hero up here, yes, didn't he? Did. he? Yeah. Absolutely. We, we talk about Raven to this day. Okay, so let's talk about that. So that passed. Yeah. The, the court case was over. He won. Yeah. Um, the legislator passes, and now, okay, it's only $100, no more than yep. $100 fine if you're caught with uh, cannabis. Exactly. Uh, there were now there were many further changes that began to happen to these to this code over time. So in 1982, there was uh, the legislature established a, what they called a four ounce rule amendment, yep. I believe, and that was what it just said that people were allowed to possess up to four ounces in their home, yep. right? Yep. The state legislature decriminalized possession up to four ounces of cannabis in the home or one ounce outside of the home. Okay. Yeah. So now that's even more. It's getting more lenient. It Things is. are going in the right direction. And then in 1990, uh-oh, there's some backlash. Yeah. Well, uh, because suddenly there are people petitioning to recriminalize it. There, so in 1989, there was a movement towards it because there was some large busts that were happening. And again, just as we've all experienced with cannabis, there was fear and hysteria in regards to the flower itself. And Erwin Raven really pushed the Privacy Act in the state of Alaska in 1975. So of course politics came into play again, and in 1990, uh, the recriminalization of possession of small amounts 
as a misdemeanor was a punishment up to 90 days in jail or a thousand dollars in fine right and so i'm guessing that the activists and pot smokers and yeah. growers up here were not too pleased with nope, that nope we're talking about bush era but courts doggedly upheld an individual right to possession for years to come. So who was behind? Initiative. Who was behind that? Was it was it a particular political party? Was it an activist group that were that were fighting to get this stuff, uh, these restrictions yeah. put back in place? You know, I'm not particularly sure exactly who was involved with politics at that time. But considering Alaska is a very red state, I'm assuming that you know yeah. continued to push that direction. Sure. As it did through the 90s. Uh, okay, and then, then going through the '90s, according yeah. to what I, my records I have here, uh, and please feel free to oh, if yeah. I miss anything yeah. or I miss say anything, you know, you're the expert, so jump on in. <laughs> um, so according to my records, uh, in 1998, you had a, a bill called Measure Eight, yep, uh, and that bill legalized medical cannabis for those with qualifying conditions. Um, and I'm, that followed on the heels of Prop 215, pretty much because. Exactly. That passed in 96, and maybe they were looking down at California thinking, oh, okay, they have medical cannabis. We could probably do something like that up here. And we um, were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were watching California closely. We're excited. Yeah. So, um, okay, so, and, and you were you were involved in that here. You were here at that time. and you, I was here at yeah. that time, but I was still in the watching. legal age. Yeah, yeah. You I was watching. aware of what was happening yeah. and following it. That's cool. Um, so uh, now, though, though, though it did legalize medical cannabis, there was no legal way to obtain the medical no. marijuana and that was, because there's no dispensaries and there's no licensed exactly. providers, right? Exactly. So you're getting these doctor recommendations, and then you're going yeah. to the black market, you know. You were allowed to possess up to six pants, three flowering, and one ounce of marijuana from that measure eight. Yeah, and then so that stayed the law of the land for. It did a while, it, but it was very interesting measure eight because it, it didn't allow recreational. It's kind of like, hey, we want to legalize, we want medical up here, but do we really want to give anyone access to it? No, but we legalized it. So it was quite an interesting uh, situation for Alaskans to be in that chose to partake in cannabis. Yeah, there's always there's always a lot of catch twenty twos involved in cannabis law. It seems like because mm -hmm. uh, if you go back to the original law that outlawed cannabis, the uh, Cannabis uh, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, they didn't actually outlaw cannabis. What they said was, in order to possess it, you need to have this tax stamp. You need to purchase a tax stamp for your cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you have the proper tax stamp, then it's not illegal. Okay, well. If you show up with the cannabis to purchase the tax stamp while well, you're showing up with it, you already possess it. And so technically you're already in violation of the law by possessing it and they can arrest you instead of giving you a tax stamp. You know, the whole, the whole, it was just basically to draw people out so that they can yeah. arrest them. Yeah. Catch and, 22. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Take your money and then arrest you. Yeah, we can thank Carrie Anslinger for that. Yeah. He was quoted in that same thing. Marijuana was about as harmless as a rattlesnake and then made mention that he does not know laws in regards to Alaska territory at that time. But uh, Hawaii and Puerto Rico being territories at the time had already criminalized. Yeah. We can blame him for, oh, for most a lot of it. Of for, a, for a lot of it. <laughs> <coughs> I've already done a whole episode <laughs> about Harry Anslinger. So we, we won't... Uh, retread that, uh, mm -hmm. that that path. All right, folks. Well, we're going to need to pause for a quick commercial break, but stick around because we'll be right back with more of Canthropology live from the Alaska Leaf Bowl event in Anchorage. Stay tuned. Elevate 
elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Welcome back to Canthropology. We now resume our broadcast recorded live at the Alaska Leaf Bowl in Anchorage on November 6, 2021. So uh, in 1998, you had a, a bill called Measure 8. And then, so that stayed the law of the land for at least several years. Um, and then I think the next one I see coming up on the agenda in 2014 is Measure 2, mm -hmm. the Alaska Marijuana Legalization Inif Initiative. And this was to take it beyond medical and make it recreationally legal. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and legalizing the re regulation, production, sale, and use of marijuana. And that passed it with 53% uh, vote favor. in favor, which yeah, is pretty pretty cool so tell me about that tell me about that campaign oh. and, and and how things changed from measure eight to measure two so Alaska wanted the campaign ran on the premise of regulate marijuana like alcohol so it was really trying to bring normality to it and kind of alleviate some of the concerns that you know this was a something that was gonna be harmful to people um, there was a lot of groups that came behind and brought money to the state of Alaska so we could really campaign hard to get that legalization up here um, yeah, the passage of Measure 2 was a big deal for all of us Alaskans. It was a very big evening for me. It, in that moment, that next day on uh, March 15th, it really felt like for the first time uh, getting to be a normal human. Yeah. So after the passage of uh, Measure 2, how did the advent of dispensaries come about? How did that rollout so, happen? Was it quickly? Was it dragged on? Was it, uh, how, did, how did all that play out? Well, February 24th, 2015 was the first day of legalization and the board was uh, brought, came together and they started to regulate. It took until 2016 for them to fully develop the regulations for our industry. And our first store opened October 26th, uh, 2016 in Valdez. And it was a really big moment. We were all surprised it was Valdez as well. We thought it'd be here in Anchorage, but nope. We all had to drive six hours to the first dispensary. Um, but it was a it was a huge moment. There was a lot of movement. There was a lot of uproar from both sides, uh, positive, negative. But at the end of the day, we all know that it was a great thing for the state of Alaska. Here we are in 2021. Yeah. So so also talk to me a little about law enforcement and how they're how they reacted to each time the law changed. Were they cooperative? Did they fight against it? Did they continue to bust people even after the law, after the law went into effect? What was, what was their overall uh, methodology in dealing with the newly legalized market? It kind of dealt with the territories, the precincts. It depends on the leadership in those precincts. Um, a, lot of, a lot of officers understand that marijuana is pretty harmless and if no one's harming anyone, there's nothing to they're peace officers. They're there to help. Of course, you'll have your you have your officer that gets a whiff of it as well, and will follow that whiff until they find where that house was, and they will come in and they will look for those plants. And sometimes they'll get search warrants that weren't completely valid because they searched too much of the property. So it really depended on the precinct. It de depended on the officer, as with anything. 
you know, I've heard time and time again that people were pulled over and it's like, hey, we just snuff that out inside a road. Okay, like I'm, I'm just going to take that pipe. I'm going to throw it away and we'll move on. And there was a lot of that in the state of Alaska, but there was also when, you know, officers found 2,000 more plants, you know, they see distribution, they see everything that lines up, and that's just a different charge. And so Alaska does take a, it's felt like Alaska took a different, step towards cultivators versus just the personal use yeah because i'm seeing uh when i was doing my research i'm seeing like 1996 oh, yeah. trooper sees over 1400 plants worth more than seven hundred thousand dollars uh from a home and then uh in 1998 anchorage police confiscate 10,097 plants during a bust on birchwood loop road the largest bust in anchorage at the time uh later that month uh, they found the most impressive growing and packing operation they'd ever seen. Four secret rooms in, in an Anchorage hillside home. Uh, so there was a lot of busts going on. Even though legalization was happening, uh, it seems like they were continuing to bust growers. Absolutely. Yep. They were looking for them. They were looking for where the distribution was coming from. There was even bigger ones, such as BC Bud, where there was a homicide involved and yeah, there was a lot of light brought to cannabis industry in those moments, and not in a positive one. Well, tell me about uh, the former governor, uh, Frank Murkowski, because uh, mm -hmm. I know that he, he uh, what was, how did he react to all of this? Uh, was he supportive of the law? Was he... Uh, Definitely not supportive of the law. Okay. comes from a long-term uh, um, politic family who all ha share pretty much the same opinion and have come into Alaska pushing those opinions over the years. Um, while I feel like those opinions have changed, he was pretty sturgeon in the early 90s about how he felt and then with uh, the Ra uh, Raven versus State, he really went and contested that in court. So he was going after, he was, he was trying to overturn oh, yeah. the, the yeah. decision. Which really felt like, you know, that was his own agenda. But he was not but successful, he was well right? Yeah, he was well connected. He could have could have been successful. So in 2007, it says the the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in a case uh, uh, Fairbanks of a Fairbanks man named John Collette, mm -hmm. uh, his his grow operation was disbanded in the 90s, and uh, they took they seized a bunch. This is the this is oh, yeah. their methodology. They they seize your property. So the minute they accuse you of something, they don't even have to technically file charges. You don't have to be convicted. As soon as they accuse you of it and they get the warrant, they could seize your property. So a bunch of his property was seized, and uh, he had fled the country and, and later pled guilty. But um, I see there's a lot of challenges going on to Perhaps. the law. Yep. Um, and then again in, two, again in 2008, the ACLU um, uh, challenged the yeah. law again. Exactly. Um, so uh in 2010 we should note that yeah. uh, in april 2010 uh erwin ravin d d passed away at the age of 70 uh from a heart attack so uh if he had been if he had still been around uh i would have <laughs> invited yeah, exactly i would have he would have been sitting he here with us speaking. on this panel but uh you know unfortunately he, that's not available yep. um but um let, okay let's uh let's uh we're gonna take a little break from the politics now for a second um and uh, I want to talk a little about. Um, well, before we take a break from the politics, we should probably mention just for just for entertainment value. Um, uh, there was a woman who we all know who who it was. Uh, she was a newscaster <laughs> on Alaska News, yep. and she made quite a splash when she outed herself as a cannabis person in yep. the middle of a broadcast, and then said 
fuck it, I quit on air and walked off her her newscast. And that she did. And that and that <laughs> woman's name was Charlo Green, and uh, she's she's a character. And I've had the the pleasure of meeting and spending some time with her uh, shortly after she did her her publicity stunt at, yep. in New York. She came down for the High Times 40th anniversary party. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was fun, and she was she was a fun person. Um, but I've also read a lot of uh, not so flattering things about the way she conducted her business and herself in Alaska. I'm I'm curious. Um, I'm not looking to you know do some mud slinging or anything like that. But she has uh, created herself as a as uh, you know as an anecdotal character in the history of Alaska and that cannabis. So I I'm curious to get your take on on her on on what she has what she's done or hasn't done for cannabis in Alaska mm-hmm. and 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 about her stunt do you think her stunt was helpful was it was it bad you know just your overall impression the overall impression i had up here um i'm pretty reserved in speaking about cannabis especially back then but my initial reaction was a little bit of a frustration um here we are trying to change how people perceive the cannabis user and some of her acts just kind of felt like they were perpetuating some of the stigma that we've fought for years to not be held on all of us cannabis users um and i could say that for a lot of the industry well she yeah she made waves which was great for alaska because they really put us on the internet uh, on the national spotlight and really brought to light like hey we were wanting to pass this in the state of alaska and that was great but when it came down to the fundamental local level where we're dealing with local politics Charlotte's name was brought up a lot to us as we were being compared to those same antics so that's where as an industry is a little frustrating like yes you know we want this flower legalized we want to supply that to people but you have to still do that with great business practice and, and grace so that we can really move this industry forward and um, there's just complications that came from uh, yeah, and she I behaved. and I heard that she she was involved in a dispute over a property where she yep. was hosting a cannabis club that was not f- really technically legal, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want to go into the weeds on yep. it because yep. you know I, th- we could talk about the specifics of it all day and that's not going to solve anything. But basically, it's, suffice it to say that uh, there was some something shady apparently going on, and she ended up leaving. Yep. And uh, skipping town, skipping town, Um, and uh, she's doing very well for herself. Doing, I don't know if she's involved in cannabis anymore. Uh, She's been doing some other projects, and uh, you know, uh, I wish her well. Um, Certainly not, like I said, trying to sling any mud. I I thought she was really fun and cool when I met her. Yeah, but uh, you know, nothing gets uh, her personally. You know, she's she's a she's a personality. (laughs) Let's just. I just have to say, she had a great opportunity. You know, she really did have that spotlight. There was an opportunity there for. Charlotte to really take off here in Alaska and I wish she did because she wasn't afraid to speak about it and you know that takes a certain confidence and uh that I would like to have had in that moment yeah well you know there's a long line of uh cannabis activists who have uh you know (laughs) done crazy antics and and been less than the ideal kind of representative for the movement over the years over Mm -hmm. the decades since the 60s and and you know so we just chalk her up to another one of those wacky characters in the exactly. in the cannabis community that, uh, for better or worse, is uh, part of our history. All right. Well, we need to pause once again for a commercial break, but don't go away because we'll be right back with more of Canthropology live from the Alaska Leaf Bowl. Plant profits. 
I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back once again to our special broadcast of Canthropology uh, recorded live at the Alaska Leaf Bowl this past November. All right, uh, and I want to talk a little about uh, more about some of the uh, strains in cannabis itself. Yeah. Um, do you know, do you happen to know when when was cannabis first introduced in Alaska? When did the plant first make its way here? Do you have you any know, idea? I would, ha- I would have to say at least in the 1950s as people were moving up here there was a gold rush obviously it was happening in the lower 48 Uh, individuals were looking to get rich quick and i'm sure cannabis got brought up with them the earliest uh mention of cannabis was in that 1937 uh congress uh address from harry ann slinger but outside of that you know alaskans value their privacy again we keep quiet we stay low and for a lot of us that worked for a long time until we got to you know uh nixon times where things started to change and criminalization was really coming up and uh, took people like Irwin raven to really push that in our privacy acts to protect our rights and our rights to consume and our rights to possess. Yeah, and I think people moved up here for much the same reasons that they moved to Humboldt and Mendocino counties at the time. Yeah. Because it was kind of wilderness and you could rent a cabin or build a house out in the woods and kind of be left alone and just grow your weed and and nobody would really bother you, at least at first. Yeah. Eventually, of course, they caught on and they had those terrible camp, the helicopters and everything they would send in to bus people. but people went there for the same reasons, for privacy, to be left alone, to grow their weed, to smoke their weed, exactly. uh, you know, and uh, so it's, it's a similar kind of vibe uh, as, as down there, just maybe a lot colder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about our life si- light cycles up here, yeah. they're a little messed up. Yeah, so that's another good point, is that so growing outdoors up here is not really much of a thing. I mean, no, you, can't, it's not. you can't grow with this kind of light cycle. Uh, everything has to be done indoors, which of course is gonna affect the the type and the quality of the bud that's available well and as we both know like obviously the the cannabis plant can grow outside but you're not going to get the quality that we all enjoy and can smoke hemp's great in the state of alaska but when when you're talking about something that contains thc and we're wanting a smokable bud it's very difficult just considering our light light cycles and everything that comes with that and our temperatures however we have some of the best soil and that, that's something that shouldn't be lost on people. We are, we are sitting in the agricultural heartland of Alaska currently. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's, I mean, we're spoiled in California. It's such a sweet spot. You know, you have the perfect climate, uh, Mediterranean style climate for wines, for vineyards, but also for cannabis, yes. you know, so you get yep. the, the, the nice, the, the perfect temper, temperature variations from night and day, you get the great light, you know, so outdoor cannabis in California is like ideal, like super 
Perfect. But up here, yeah, you you have to go you have to go indoors to to get decent cannabis and and. Um, mm. Which is why some people consider Alaska having some of the best cannabis, because we do have to take it indoors. We do. We have to put a lot of care in order to have that quality cannabis up here in Alaska. So one of the strains, uh, or, or probably the most prominent strain that Alaska is known for, is the Alaskan Thunderfuck, also known yeah. as the Matanuskin Thunderfuck, because <laughs> yep. it comes from the Matanuska Valley, which is where your shop is yep, located. where I'm at. The first cannabis retail in the whole Matsu borough that's as big as some states that's a big deal being the first i mean mananuska valley is considered like the one of the big cap cannabis producing areas of alaska right the biggest absolutely yeah yep so that's where mananuska valley is where the stoners go to grow and and, and so you're the first privacy (laughs) yeah so you're the first uh dispensary that opened in that and that's pretty epic that's pretty historic um so do you know much about the strain uh what its lineage is and when it first started uh, appearing on the scene yeah there was a lot of rumors so when we first started getting into this industry i've always heard about mtf but when we started working towards legalization everyone was talking about it who has it where is it what happened to it there's a lot of names being thrown around in the early days there was a man named john shelp people were talking about that possessed that early uh, strain there was another guy named mtf jeff everyone was looking for mtf jeff mm-hmm. and where he had that flower i mean i literally got calls at my CBD shop, soon to be a recreational mm-hmm. dispensary, um, about this man and where could they find that strain? And uh, you know, it's a legend at this point. You know, some some of the long-term growers here in the valley would say, you know, that would that was more of a slang term for the stankiest of cannabis that you could find at the time. And then others felt strongly that this is a strain. And there is a couple individuals out there that are currently growing it and on the recreational market that say this is the strain i've we started in 1988 we've been growing it since 1998 and this is the original but again like with anything there's a lot of hearsay we don't have the genetics um and there's genetic drift that people should take into account when they're thinking about a plant that's been maintained for year after year after year. Yeah, of course. Um, the research I did uh, basically said that they believe uh, the MTF is a cross of Northern California sativa and a Russian ruderalis. That's mm-hmm. one of the people, that's one of the claims. Yep. Um, sometime in the late 70s, it's believed it was crossed with an Afghani um, to make it hardier, to make it be- beef it up. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, Northern California sativa, Afghani genetic lines, possibly even Oaxacan gold or original haze. Yeah, you know, these things are hard to nail down because people didn't keep records of this stuff. Uh, there wasn't the kind of media that yeah. we have today, and people like that were doing this work wanted to stay very much off the radar. So they're really, it's hard when I do research in, into cannabis history yeah. when you're dealing with the outlaw growers and the outlawed smugglers it's- and stuff. They don't have photos. They don't have records. So a lot of this is kind of just you know taking shots in the dark. But it could it could easily be one of those. You know maybe there is original haze in it. You know yeah. who knows. Um, but uh, so your so your your shop was the first shop in Manuska Valley. But I read that the, the first shop in Alaska, uh, all the, of the state was uh, what was the name of that club? It was. Um, it's in Valdez, and it was. Um, I should know this. It's in my notes. It's on Where the top it? of my head. I can see their logo. 
Dang, I can't find it. <laughs> Herbal Outfitters. There we go. Okay. Herbal Outfitters okay. in Valdez was the first dispensary to open on October 26, 2016. And we were all really excited, except most of us, most of the population of Alaska is in Anchorage, which is about six hours away. Oh, man. So do you think how many people you think traveled There's so for many. They were sold out that day. There was nothing left. Like, they had a line out the door. We yeah. Were, Alaskans were really excited. From what I could see online, it looked like over a 1,000 people within yeah. the first couple of days were there waiting in line and buying them up all their stock they uh, were. that's 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 pretty amazing it was exciting and plus <clears throat> there's very little cannabis on the market then so it was just a really exciting moment for all of us yeah so tell, tell me about uh there must be some other figures that are part of the movement here in alaska that have been important figures people who, who are ogs who have been around on the scene um, I yeah. saw the name Roger Cobb. I saw the. I heard the name Ron Bass. Yeah. Uh, there are some people here that have yeah. been like doing this a long time. Can, you know, can you tell us a little about some of the other activists and other oh, yeah. uh, pioneers up here that have been moving the moving the the ball forward? Yeah, let me talk about Vanessa Liston. Um, she's amazing. She's been growing for decades now, uh, medically taking care of people and she swore up and down that when recreational came that she would be a part of it and you know a lot of people talk to talk but not very many of them could walk the walks it comes with running a legitimate business and Vanessa did Vanessa's been out here for a long time she owns Matanuska Medicine Woman a great cultivation highly knowledgeable she uh, Jorge Fontes is her friend she has spent oh, a lot of time great. with him yep and uh, Part of the reason where she was able to ask questions and continue to grow she's been doing this for years and it's just really neat to see a woman like herself here in the valley come from that legacy market move into the recreational market and walk that walk she's amazing she's a wealth of knowledge out here okay great uh what about some of the names i mentioned can you tell us about ron bass please? so ron bass uh is one of our characters in our industry he would say that himself he's all love he would also say that yeah. uh he's out in houston um he has one of the first cultivations out in houston he also owns a retail he was very adamant about finding mtf he went out there originally stating that he had mtf but come to find out he did not and he will he'll state that himself he was on the search however him publicly announcing that allowed him to what he feels like to find that MTF. Um, so he was at first really adamant about finding that MTF and just, you know, being that person in our industry that is in the media space and made sure everyone knew that this was happening. Marijuana is here to stay. And he he was an activist as well. Okay. Are there any other names that come to mind that should be worthy oh, of mention? Uh, I think so. Let me think about this. Over the last several decades of yeah. activism or, or, or entrepreneurship? I think the whole group that did Ballot Measure 2 and helped facilitate the legalization in 2014 should be mentioned. And one of those people that helped facilitate is currently um, a board member, as far as I understand. Uh, he helped with Ballot Measure 2 and getting it off the ground, and it was a big deal. Um, that would be Bruce Schulte, one of our and, and who so who are the organizations up here that are making a difference? What are the names of the organizations? Oh, so Alaska Marijuana Industry Association, they're a big deal. Um, you know, what's nice about our board in Alaska being ran a little different than some of the other states, uh, we feel like we're heard. The Alaska Marijuana Industry Association really does get all of our 
opinions and represent them in public comment and the board does lean on them for information how does it such as license caps that's on, that's a big topic right now and so they lean to the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association to really understand how does our industry feel about those things so that's a huge group we all have our own local um, politics as well our, uh, so for a long time we had the Matanuska Valley Cannabis Business Association same with the Anchorage we attended both because we're such a, we're so close even though we're yeah. an hour away we might as well still be the same region yeah so those are some of the big groups that really have paid attention and helped facilitate in legalization and uh, in a regulation formation Okay, and so I've also heard, uh, tell me a little about the, the taxation structure here, because I've heard there's yeah. a very prohibitive tax and it's all laid on the grower, on the manufacturer. Can you tell us about the tax structure and how it works and, and how it impedes uh, growth for some of these uh, uh, organizations and, and, and people? Absolutely. So in the state of Alaska, uh, cannabis is actually taxed on the cultivator. It is $800 for every pound. Right then and there, you know that we have a cap. We can't go... We can't go lower than probably $1,000 when it comes to our cannabis. So that was one of the big deals that, um, that inhibit the flower costs coming down because that, that tax is on the cultivator. In most states, your state cannabis tax is done at the retail level. So that's caused us our own issues here in its growth. I feel like a lot of our industry feels that the tax should be brought to the retailer. There, that's just a natural taxation that it occurs in every state and it does cause a little bit of confusion when the cultivator is the one paying the taxes. Yeah. But here, when you come with that, uh, we have cultivations that are, are not paying their taxes, but they continue to get renewed year after year, so that causes us industry players other issues where we need that revenue to be coming into the state, but then some of the players are not paying that oh. revenue and it really causes uh, great issues for us. Yeah, it seems like taxation is the big problem. Uh, in California, we have a crazy taxation rate. It's like after you add it all up with local, you know, taxes and state taxes and municipal tax, you know, some people are paying upwards of 30, 35% yeah. in tax. It's, it's very, it just, it, and they wonder why the traditional market or legacy market is still thriving yeah. so well. It's like, why would I spend so much money on a nug from some, you know, a prepackaged nug if I know a grower that I can get it from, that I know the quality, I can see it, it smell it and taste it ahead of time and get it for cheaper, you know, that's, but I'm, I've, look, I'm an outlaw. I've been yeah. at this a long time. <laughs> I'm not a grower and I'm not a smuggler, but I've been friends with and covering growers and smugglers for decades. And, uh, you know, I've always gotten my weed directly from the source, from growers. And so I, I you know, for me, as much as I applaud the legal framework, I want to see it be legal and I want to see more common sense tax structures and more common sense regulations. Putting, But at the same time, I'm, I'm happy to remain on the fringe and continue, <laughs> continue being an outlaw for, for a little longer, as long as I can be. Um, <laughs> but... Um, uh, so it's it within your soul yeah. to be an outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know, I know. Maybe it's just me, but there are a shit ton of dispensaries in Anchorage. Yes, sir. And is. I, it's like you can't turn a block without seeing nope. a dispensary. So, how, do you have any idea, an estimate of how many there are in the city or in the I state? I believe there is upwards. We're getting close to forty at this point in Anchorage. In the state, it's over one hundred and fifty. In my Matanuska borough, we have seventeen currently, um, and it continues to grow. 
And but as as you said, there's still a lot to be said about the legacy market. We're yeah. all still continuing to grow. The growth for cannabis is still happening here. And at this point, at this point in this game, where are things with the state and local governments? Are they are they getting on board? Are they being more cooperative? Are they making yeah. the process a little easier now? Absolutely. Do they see the they see that okay, this is not going away, and we can make some money with this? Are they are they yeah, they're yeah. they're on board for the okay. most part. You can look at most assembly members. Everyone, there's enough time that people understand. Nothing crazy has happened. No one's no one's died from edibles. No one's overdosed on cannabis. Everything's been smooth sailing, which actually helped facilitate in our recent uh, regulation change, where we were able to up the amount of milligrams that we have in our edibles because we have time to show. Look, everything's safe. We're all in agreement. No one's getting hurt. Everyone's respecting each other. Let's move forward and continue to grow the industry as it should. Because a five milligram milligram limit was really low. Yeah. And I do want to say, when it comes back to taxes, you know, while Alaska does tax the cultivator, when you come to my shop, you're paying 5% and it goes to the local government and that's it. That's all you're paying. And you know, we'll, even up here, people will complain about that, but you know, time and time again, we have to bring them back. Like, you understand, like when you go to Colorado, when you go to California, you're looking at effective 37% of that is going to taxes. That is quite a large amount. So while I understand that we have our own taxation issues, they are pretty minimal compared to some of the other states. Yeah, right on. So what do you, what do you see uh, for the future? Uh, are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Do you think more progress is going to be made? Uh, where do you see Alaska's cannabis uh, community and industry in, in five years or so? I feel like we are going to continue to move forward. I hope to see that our on-site consumption lounges regulations continue to move forward as well so that we can really embrace that part of it and start getting that, you know, quote-unquote bar-like atmosphere where we can socialize and utilize cannabis. Currently, those regulations are um, still inhibiting of that social atmosphere, but we're really working for, towards that. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a taxation structure that we all agree upon. I feel like that can come in the next five years, as well as um, looking at distribution license, because the state of Alaska actually anticipates anticipating federal legalization so i'll be really interested to see how that looks in the future absolutely and what about for you personally as far as green jar and and what what do you guys have planned expansion new absolutely. things uh tell yeah. us what you guys have in yeah, store so we're currently wanting to expand um considering that you know we have no investors we expand within our own company we take it one step at a time i like to say i'm the tortoise i'm not the hare i'm going to take my time i'm going to do it right i'm going to make sure that my staff is well taken care of currently we're working on two other locations open uh, one being in hatcher's pass and another being towards palmer and we continue to expand we also have a manufacturing in the works that we're really looking forward to getting off the ground in the coming years Awesome. Um, any final words or thoughts about uh, cannabis in Alaska before we wrap things up? You know, cannabis in Alaska is really unique. Um, I'm grateful to get to be a part of this industry. I'm grateful that the state of Alaska created regulations that only allowed Alaskans to be able to apply for licensure because that really gave me the opportunity to be able to open my own retail versus, um, you know, I had that fear of that big guy coming in and with millions. I didn't, I didn't have millions, but Alaska set up their 
state statutes in a way that really allowed the local Alaskan to flourish, and I am um, forever grateful for that. So that's something that people should know. The local Alaskan here is the person that owns those businesses. That's that's really great, and and you know I, I see a bright future. Um, I have the statistic in here somewhere, but something like. Apparently, Alaskans smoke weed like three <laughs> times more than the rest of the population. I uh, be something surprised. like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where's that statistic? Oh, God I'm sure it. it's there. <laughs> uh, it's in here somewhere. It gets dark, Bobby. Okay, you have to understand. Like, you you see the darkness right now. Come back. You know, end of December. <laughs> we have nothing better to do. Absolutely. Well, uh, I've had uh, I've had a great experience so far. My time up in up in Anchorage and Wasilla, uh, beautiful country, um, uh, great great weed, great community. Uh, so we're so thankful for you guys welcoming us here. Uh, especially thanks uh, to you and Green Jar for uh, helping with the competition and, and taking yeah. care of all of that. And uh, you know, uh, as a judge, as someone who judged the competition, I should mention. Uh, you know, uh, I saw, and someone who used to run competition for high times, yeah. I know how hard it is. I know how hard intake is and keeping on top of things and staying organized and putting all the judges' kits together. I have a lot of experience in that. So thank <laughs> you, know. you for all that hard work to of you and your course. team. We really appreciate it. And thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today and be on the show today. We really appreciate it, Bailey. Thank you so much cool. for that experience. That was great. Really and thanks to all of you guys for listening. <laughs> so, uh, uh, for more information about World of Cannabis Museum Project or to read our Canthropology blog, you can visit our website, worldofcannabis.museum. You can also find us, uh, Canthropology, in Leaf Magazine every month in the back of the issue, uh, educating cannabis history uh, through the Leaf. Um, thanks to Leaf for hosting us. Thanks to Anchorage for hosting us. Thanks to uh, the Egan Center for hosting us. It's, it's been a blast. And now, without further ado, we're going to uh, cut things short because we're going to head over and uh, check out the awards show and see, see who's taking home the gold, <laughs> the trophies. Yeah. So uh, thanks, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for this uh, edition of Canthropology. Until next time, this is Bobby Black, and I am history. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.